Hey everyone, before we get started this week, just a quick request for you to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. If you leave a review, you will get your very own badass lady meter rating on our patented scale. We have a new reviewer to shout out, and that is a bite-sized blonde. And your rating is two books. One your favorite, which you've conveniently forgotten, but will always hold a special place in your heart from childhood, and the other brand new, but full of adventure for the future. Now the episode. Hello. Hi, I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. And we're Dragon Babies. Talk on babies. We reread our favorite YA fantasy classics and discuss whether maybe even better for adults. Yeah. This week, The Princess Bride by William Goldman. And we're going to watch the movie coming up. <clears throat> yeah, we're going to do a mini episode on the film adaptation and how it compares to the book as well. So watch out for that, movie fans. If you're new to our podcast, we do thoroughly spoil every book we cover, and that's about to commence. So just I mean, a quick warning. Yeah, this is one of those ones, though, if you don't. If you've never read or seen The Princess Bride, shocking. Why are you here? Yeah, go, <laughs> go witness it. Get first. on it. Yeah. So, this book was published in 1973. Um, it's on the older side in terms of the books we usually cover. That is a lot older than I realized. And it makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> it helps explain a lot of the book. It does. Um, before we get into our full on uh, rip roaring discussion, we like to do a little marketing breakdown and discuss how the publisher chose to package and promote the book. Okay. This is our childhood copy. Mm-hmm. It's very exciting. Lately, we've had to use some library editions. Because but this literally, I pulled it off my bookshelf. Keeping track of our books. It's yellowed. It has that old book kind of smell that's hard to describe. But yeah, it's, mustiness. Well, but it's like... I'm s- smelling the book now. It's the aged pages. Well, I read once that it it's... Literally the smell from the chemical reaction from the paper starting to break down. Yeah. That's what that smell is, which is like really cool. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. Uh, this, it says, The Princess Bride. And above that, it says, S. Morgenstern's classic tale of true love and high adventure. And we've got a pencil drawing of, uh, kind of a sketchy drawing of Buttercup and Wesley. Uh, Buttercup has a red gown on and is being pulled along by Wesley, who is in top form. (laughs) I feel like they're probably entering the um, fire swamp. Yeah. Yeah. That's the point that it seems to me. Because she knows it's Wesley now because he's not wearing a mask anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, He's got his little skull cap on. And his pirate mustache. Yeah, his pirate mustache. Um, And yeah, they're like hurrying along, escaping um, Wesley looks much more joyous than he ever is in the book, though, which is kind of funny. Yeah, he's really at peak sarcasm for the majority of the book. Yeah, yeah. Um, I really like this cover because I think it parodies the um, old adventure novel covers really well. Sure. Um, like, it's done in that style, and it, the image is set at the height of an exciting scene, and there's mm-hmm. a sword, and you just want to get into it and get going, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I just want to point out that in our edition, there's a fold-out map. It's Did- the 25th anniversary edition, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. and I it's a really great 
It's a really great little map. It's color. It's like cardstock. Um, and a map the, of Florin and Gilder. Yeah, it and it's really really cool. Like it has the little rodents of unusual size and um, Zoo of Death. Yeah, if did you get a chance to look at it? We should post a picture of it. I yes, think. we'll put a photo really, of it really up cool. on our website, dragonbabiespodcast.com for your perusal. Good job, Grace. Sharks. Oh, there's little sharks. Okay, we'll okay, post it. That's enough. Um, <laughs> visual exploration in an audio medium. <laughs> Great for podcasts. Okay, I will now read the back. Yeah, I like this cover too. I think also they for something like this, the 25th anniversary edition, they don't have to work too hard to no. get the story across because by this point, people the do know what the Princess Bride is. Although the film was not successful when it was first released. Really? Yeah, it's become a cult classic and we're young oh. enough that it's been a classic for most of our lives, but it really wasn't until it was um, like a while after it was released on VHS mm-hmm. that people started falling in love with it. But we'll talk more about the movie in our movie episode. This is about the book. The Princess Bride is a timeless tale that pits country against country, good against evil, love against hate. This incredible journey and artfully rendered love story is peppered with strange beasties, monstrous and gentle, memorable surprises, both terrible and sublime, and such unforgettable characters as ellipses, double space, Wesley. A lot of punctuation. <laughs> yeah, it's just interesting. Uh, Wesley, the handsome farm boy who risks death and much worse for the woman he loves. Inigo, the uh, Spanish swordsman who lives only to avenge his father's death. Fezzik, the gentlest giant ever to have uprooted a tree with his bare hands. Vizzini, the evil Sicilian with a mind so keen he's foiled by his own perfect logic. Prince Humperdinck, the eviler, eviler ruler of Gilder? That's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I've just been completely stalled out. Yeah, it says Prince Humperdinck, comma... The eviler ruler of Gilder, who has an equally insatiable thirst for war and the beauteous buttercup. Okay, this, I just can't follow this at all. No, that's wrong. He's not the ruler of Gilder. He's the ruler of Florin. Right. And I th- I thought maybe it was supposed to be like semicolon and then like random aside. There's also a ruler yeah. of Gilder. But no, but we this never is just even straight up the wrong. ruler of Gilder, so it would be very weird. Okay. Okay. Well, we've <laughs> just now discovered some inaccuracies on this edition, so... Count Rugen, the evilest man of all, who thrives on the excruciating pain of others. Miracle Max, the king's ex-miracle man who can raise the dead, kind of. And of course, Buttercup, the the princess bride. <laughs> What's happening to you? There's just so much punctuation on here. I can't handle <laughs> The like most- this as the day a woman was brought down by excessive punctuation. It can happen to you. The Princess Bride, the most perfect, beautiful woman in the history of the world. Exclamation point. Over. Okay. Visit our website at www. Okay, that's enough. <laughs> that's enough. Uh, thank you, Madeline. Yeah, um, you're welcome. Like I said, I don't. I don't really think anyone needs too much introduction to the story in order to pick up this book. I think that by this point for this edition, it's mostly being purchased by fans of the movie. It's a good spin on the back cover giving too much away when the back cover lies to you. <laughs> you're absolutely right. We're always complaining about this story being too broadcasted on the back cover. The inner jacket <laughs> literally lies. Or I can just make, make things up. Yeah, that's another another little 
little chosen option, but one that this edition took. So now we're going to give a quick plot summary. Um, Just for those who have not read the book before or haven't visited it in a while, I'm going to make this even quicker than usual because we pretty much all know the broad strokes of this story. The book is about a woman named Buttercup who first starts out as a teenager um, and she lives on a farm where her parents raise cows. Their farm has a farmhand, a farm boy named Wesley. And the beginning of the book is just about them kind of growing up. Then Buttercup begins to be renowned as one of the most beautiful women in the world as she gets older and learns to bathe herself and things like that. Um, Buttercup and Wesley fall in love, and Wesley decides he needs to leave to seek out his fortune so that he can afford to make a living for the two of them. He takes off. Buttercup learns that he has been attacked by the Dread Pirate Roberts, the one who never leaves his victims alive. So he's dead. The prince of Florin, the kingdom that they're in, comes to Buttercup and says that she's the most beautiful woman in all the land, so he wants to marry her. He needs to start producing heirs because his father's about to die, even though he couldn't care less about being a ruler. It's time for him to make some decisions and move forward. Buttercup says, I'll never love you, but fine, whatever. They get married. Well, they plan to get married. (laughs) Um, as their wedding is approaching, Buttercup is kidnapped by a very interesting trio of people who reveal that they are involved in a false plot to make it seem that the neighboring kingdom of Gilder has kidnapped and murdered her so that Florin will have an excuse to go to war against Gilder. Intrigue. Political happenings. Then the uh, mysterious figure in black begins following the princess. Man in black. To be, and her, the man in black begins following the princess to be and her three captors. They, uh, in turn, each fight him. Each are defeated. He reveals himself to be Wesley, to Buttercup. They embrace. (laughs) 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 Then they enter the fire swamp and go on some adventures together. Buttercup and Wesley continue trying to escape the prince and his forces who are tracking them by that point, but they're captured. Buttercup is brought back to the castle. Wesley is thrown into the um, the zoo of death. That's what it's called in the book, in the movie. It's the pit of despair. Oh, yeah, you're right. Um, Wesley's thrown into the zoo of death where he's tortured and ultimately murdered. At the same time... Two of the captors, Fezzik and Inigo, are attempting to not only find one another, but to complete Inigo's lifelong quest, which is to avenge his father's murder. I kind of prefer Inigo and Fezzik's relationship to Buttercup and Wesley's this time around. Agreed. Yeah. Um. I was more into their, and I felt like there was more genuine affection there. I agree. And I think that's pretty intentional um okay but yeah talk more about that in a moment the two of them get back together they hear wesley's dying screams and say (laughs) only that can only be the sound of ultimate suffering produced by a man who is losing his true love they find him they get a miracle from miracle max and valerie the king's previous miracle man who is fired bring him back to life but only for like 45 minutes he's only kind of alive (laughs) and he's only sort of alive but during that time they managed to trick the prince into surrendering and inigo 
murders the six-fingered man who killed his father. And um, the ending is uncertain. We are told that they get away from the castle initially, but then there's a great little (laughs) throwaway line that says, and then Fezzik went the wrong way and Buttercup's horse lost his shoe. And all the time there was a clatter of um, hoofs close behind them. And then that's the end. Um, And we get a little annotation from the William Goldman narrator saying, I like to think that it was a happy ending and you can think that too. So as this is a fantasy nostalgia podcast, we like to start out by discussing our old and new impressions. So what we remember about our perceptions of this book and what really stood out to us on rereading. Yeah. And Madeline, I know you have some pretty specific ones. Um, So would you like to go first? Yeah. um, I'll just be totally honest. And, you know, I'm not a... I don't have an American literature background. I'm much better at Russian literature, it, you know, and that's, I'm no expert on that either. Anyways, this disclaimer is leading up to say that I am really confused still. <laughs> and maybe if I had more of a literary background, I would understand what I just read better, but I am still just kind of confounded. Um, and, and, I, and you felt confounded as a child as well? No, I was less confounded because as a child it was more, I I just was like, oh, so William Goldman is fake. He's the fake narrator and he is, I don't know. As a child, I kind so of... So you understood that S. Morgenstern wasn't real? Yeah, when I when I read it before because I Googled it. And like, as soon okay. as, as soon as it started going back and forth, I was like, wait, this is real. And then I Googled it and I was like, okay, no, this is just the way this, the author is telling the story. Um, I did think that when I was younger, that everything William Goldman was saying about his family was real. And I was really bummed out by that. Um, <sighs> this time around, I mean, of course I still understood that, but I just had trouble following, like, was everything satire? Like, what was earnest and, like, what wasn't? And what, I understand some of what this is a spoof of, but complicated by the fact that I'm pretty sure I saw the movie before I read the book. If you were old enough when you were reading the book that you could Google something, yes. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, because I saw the movie when I was really young, and I loved the movie. I mean, honestly, reading this, it was it was so funny because they take so much of the script in the movie directly from the book. That and William Goldman wrote the screenplay as well, right? So as I was reading the book, I just kept seeing the characters delivering the lines because they're literally the same lines. Yeah, literally the same lines. I also think the movie was just amazingly cast. Um, it was so perfectly cast. Yeah. And when you read I feel the like book, Andre the Giant is Fezzik. Um, which is what William Goldman says in the introduction to this edition, too. Mm. When he talks about the first table read, he's just like, Andre was Fezzik. Yeah, um, yeah and I, I think that... Um, like like I keep saying, we will talk about this a lot more in our little mini movie episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll um, try to keep it to the book, but, but it's really hard for me to separate the oh, two. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. And what I was going to say is it's different from, 
I feel like what usually happens when you read a book after seeing a film adaptation and you're irritated that the characters are taking on a specific vision that's Mm. just pulled from what you've seen from the movie and you don't have time to or the opportunity to come up with your own mental pictures Mm. of them. Yeah. Whereas here, it feels so natural. Yeah. And it feels like... I don't feel like I'm fighting against are. it. Yeah. Even down to just the way the the lines are written for each character yeah. and then the way those totally. actors deliver them yeah. is perfect. I kept thinking for just everyone. like, oh, like this is how it's written on the page, but their delivery was transcendent. <laughs> like it was perfect. For Buttercup, Wesley, Vizzini, Fezzik, Inigo, the Count, the Prince, yeah. like... All of Everyone them. Everyone is of so, them. so funny and amazing. Yeah. yeah. I like the first one that comes to mind is when they, uh, when Fezzik finds Inigo super drunk in the Thieves, thieves Court, he's like, I'm waiting for Vizzini. <laughs> Mandy Patinkin is amazing. Yeah. Um, so. Oh, or, or when Wesley wakes up, like when they first give him the pill and he's like, who are you? Where yeah. am I? No, Where's Buttercup? Yeah, like, I fought you. I'll beat you both separately. I'll beat you both together. It's <laughs> no, amazing. Yeah. Um, okay, so your old and new impressions, both tinged with movie bits. Yeah. Um, totally understandable. Wesley was also, like, one of my very first crushes. <sighs> yeah, Carrie Yules as Wesley. <laughs> so amazing. Carrie Yules as Wesley and um, Brendan Fraser as Tarzan. <laughs> First crushes. First crushes. <laughs> amazing combo. <laughs> Truly amazing. Um, 90s kids will know. <laughs> so I had a different experience reading this when I was young because I read it before I saw the movie and the internet wasn't so much of a thing wasn't really yet accessible yet i thought s morgan stern was real Mm. um and i think it's easy to fall into that trap because there's layer upon layer of narration and if you're young enough you're just focused on the actual fantasy story story itself yeah um and i also really appreciated books that had weird conceits like this. Like we were talking a few episodes ago about how I loved epistolary novels. Yeah. Um, and, and just different is. framing devices. Yeah. I thought they were really cool and fun and it made me feel smart to be mm-hmm. <laughs> reading a book that had one of them, just to be totally honest. Cause I was kind of a pretentious kid. Um, and I think that when I did realize that of course it wasn't real, I mean, there's, full-on magic that happens in the story um but i felt like the fantasy elements were just more um like maybe it was you know something of like a version of a history of some country but Mm. then there were these kind of fairy tale elements added in by maybe the original author or the guy abridging it you know Mm -hmm. it was just when you're young you're just kind of like i don't care i just want the story right um so Contrasting that with reading it now, after I do know something about literature and about the types of works that it is satirizing, Mm -hmm. um, now I feel like I'm really caught up in the artifice and the structure, um, 
or at least paying a lot of attention to it now. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas before, when I was young, I feel like I just want to skip through the uh, italicized sections that are William Goldman interjecting and saying, here's where I cut this out, here's where yeah. I cut this out. Mm-hmm. Those are super funny, and I, I appreciated them when I was a kid, but I, and appreciate, I appreciate them more now. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I'm struck by, even though we get this jaded self-hating fictionalized narrator Mm -hmm. in William Goldman and a lot of the characters in the quote-unquote S. Morgenstern book um, are kind of being mocked throughout their existence there are still these moments of real feeling that I think that the book gets at and real emotion yeah that's what like part of the reason I was so confused (laughs) Um, yeah, it's really, no, it's really fascinating because it's a book, it's a story that's about telling a story, like it's a fairy tale about making a fairy tale. Um, so the characters get kind of caught up in that and sometimes they're being used as devices and then sometimes they're just being great characters mm-hmm. who are able to love and hate and live and die and do all the things mm-hmm. that good characters are going to do. Um, but and it's, I mean, it's also about like, Although I don't even know if this is earnest about like making literature accessible to mm-hmm. young people. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Okay. Um, it's hard to parse out what about William Goldman's introduction where he's talking about his own life is real and what isn't. Yeah. Um, his family's totally made up. Um, he did have a wife and daughters, mm. um, but wasn't his wife's name or profession. Um, and yeah, he didn't have a son. And on the whole, I think he's like a much better person than the narrator he creates. Well, geez, he'd have to be. And it's really interesting to be like, wow, I've seen unsympathetic narrators, but to make himself like his own name and then also incorporate details from his real life, like yeah. keep, to keep referring to Butch like Cassidy and the Sundance Kid and to other screenplays that he did write right. and that he did work mm-hmm. on um, and pull those into this like disgusting story of him leering at a young woman in a pool, yeah. um, but then ultimately being distracted even from that because he's trying to track down this mm-hmm. book so he can give it to his son who he hates. <laughs> it's just like... Wow, why yeah. are you doing this? Yeah. <laughs> um, but I have some ideas about what he was doing if okay. we want to talk about those. Well, Do you want to pause? No, I mean I I also just kept being like, even if it's a satire, if there's no strong female characters, is it commentary or is it problematic (laughs) yeah I mean I think that's definitely something else to talk about too um but I actually I actually thought that Buttercup was a twist on the kind of character that you would expect in a story like this okay so I do get that her character was like yeah definitely a lot of commentary there but I just like was frustrated want more women to be in yeah there's no women yeah, there's Buttercup, there's the Queen. The Queen, but she doesn't... Um, 
who have a role really. I I liked her because she is like a really sweet, earnest caretaker to the king Mm -hmm. and is like the only one who can understand him. And they Mm -hmm. like read each other's minds. That was really cute that she keeps saying that like he's about to think. That's a good point. That's a good point. But she doesn't really have any like story agency. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And other than that, uh, the women in the book are moms like moms or asides about the most beautiful woman and then what happened to her to make right. Buttercup the next yeah. one coming mm-hmm. up in the line of the most beautiful women. And I know, um, again, I know it's commentary, but it just freaked me out on this read through that like Buttercup and Wesley, their love is very heavily based on physical appearances. <laughs> well, but their great love is like the biggest joke I know. in the book. Um, I know. The but passages it, that they say to each other, but even those passages, I think have some kernels of truth in them. Like I love that even as they're trying to say, oh, I love you. You know, if my love for you were a grain of sand, it could cover all the oceans in the world. And then Buttercup is like, wait, I need a second like, mm-hmm. to process that. And then they start like arguing about something like there is the reality of a human relationship brought mm-hmm. into even these like sweeping grand gestures, mm-hmm. which I liked. I mean, the book is so funny because it's he attempts to make it feel historical, but mm-hmm. then there's such crazy anachronisms mm-hmm. and also the modernization of their dialogue to one another, mm-hmm. the phrases that they use. Um, and William Goldman even comments on this himself because in one of his sides, he says that S. Morgenstern had a lot of seeming anachronisms in the story, but then historians were arguing about it and he checked on everything and like he insisted that this object was invented at this time and this concept was invented at this time. Right. Um, so there's also like a meta commentary going yeah. on. Uh, there there's mm-hmm. like layers and layers and layers of it i think i think probably the reason why that aspect bothered me is because i know that when i read it when i was younger i took it at face value mm-hmm. okay and that's the problem there is that i wasn't you know developed enough even to first realize that it was satire or realize that that's a problem like i was just like oh yeah that's why they love each other because they're both beautiful so, so maybe that speaks to my own. <laughs> so specific, let's talk a little bit about the context of the book. Mm-hmm. So specifically what William Goldman is parodying. Um, well, it's it's a bunch of different genres, but I think the first and foremost, because he talks about this when he's talking about his own uh, literary history and how he learned to love reading when he mm-hmm. was young. He claims it started with this book that he wrote. Um, <laughs> but when he's talking about the adventure stories, right. um, it's those books. And I don't know if you've read any before, like if you've read Ivanhoe or like Three Musketeers um, or Rob- Robinson Crusoe. I read that one um, where he like... Even Treasure Island I would put into this category. I remember Robinson Crusoe because he names the indigenous man that he finds after a day of the week and like turns him into a slave. Yeah, there's going to be a, <laughs> there's a lot of a lot of problems. Um but he is recreating like those books in total including their problems um and then making jokes about the problems. Right. And that's where he's getting into the editorializing with Mm -hmm. the abridged version Mm -hmm. um, and basically being both the narrator and the reader because he's commenting on everything that's happening as he's also creating it. Um, Maybe I'm just 
not smart enough for this book, man. Maybe that's what's going on. Wait, here. let me let me continue because there's more to more to say. More to talk about it that I didn't get. <laughs> it's not what I'm saying. I'm just trying to I'm just trying to provide some more context. No, it's, I'm that's just all. poking fun at myself. Um, so there are the adventure stories, but then there's also just romantic literature in general, mm, which is where you right, get those is, like 20 pages of discussion of packing. But, you know, instead it would be about the countryside. That's just the lens that he viewed it through for this book. Then you get things like actual historical satire, something like Candide. Have you read Candide before? So Candide... I shook my head. <laughs> Candide is written by Voltaire... Um, a French philosopher. It came out in like 1750. Um, and it rereading the princess bride, it reminded me so much of Candide. Like I think they're very, very, very similar in that in Candide. So, uh, broadly it's about a young man who is like raised in this idealistic, like academic environment. Um, but then he leaves that and goes out into the world and just suffers like, misfortune after misfortune and witnesses so much suffering and also just like starts murdering everyone who <laughs> like comes up against him. Um, and at the time it was a commentary on a lot of the problems with religion um, and also just society in general. Um, and Candide in the end decides like the thesis of the book is that you need to work so hard that you have no time to think about anything. And that's the only way that you can be happy. Um, I do know many people like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, we do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but throughout the book, there's just like scene after scene of excess and whether the excess is like extreme violence or extreme professions of love um, or extreme opulence. Like it's it's all it continues to be so, so, so over the top. Um, and part of the reason for that is that Voltaire was trying not to get in trouble with the church at the time. So he was trying to create like a fool's story that only a few like subversive, smart, anti-religious people would be able to really understand. You look like you want to die. (laughs) (laughs) No, I was just, I was just thinking about the fact that, you have studied these things and you understand them. And I'm just sort of like, well, I've heard Voltaire's name before. <laughs> but I feel like we can connect on this. Like you understand that concept and how something like this, it really takes the same approach. That's all I'm saying. And no, to have and it I, applied to fantasy specifically, mm-hmm. I think is really interesting. Right. It does bring out some of the tropes and cliches and problems with fantasy literature at large. Sure. Yeah. I've, and I was also just thinking, like, since we've been focusing a lot on fantasy that, and since I have in my life, in fantasy that's like written by women and has lots of actual mm-hmm. women characters and deals with um, problematic tropes in an earnest way, I think probably I have been a little bit distancing myself from the kind of, you know, like more pulp fantasy that this is going to. Yeah. No, I absolutely understand that. So that's part of the reason probably why I had trouble digesting it. Yeah, we do tend to cover and read just more niche fantasy books, mm-hmm. I would say. Um, ones that have their own fan bases for sure. Mm-hmm. But we do forget what 
the broad stroke fantasy tends to be like. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or something like a fairy tale, which is what this really is, Mm -hmm. where it has these very set story pieces Mm -hmm. that follow one after the other. Yeah. Yeah. And also, yeah, I totally makes sense. I have just, I have no background in like friggin' philosophy or even like western literature um like at all so like i said i've read robinson crusoe but it was the like retooled for a younger audience version it wasn't even the original version it was that one robinson crusoe jr yeah it had like a ton of pictures (laughs) like yeah that's really funny yeah um so all of that is to say Yes, William Goldman is kind of tearing these uh, structures apart, but I also think he created, like I said, a story of real feeling throughout. And something like Fezzig and Inigo's relationship mm-hmm. um, is a real strong thread that runs mm-hmm. throughout the entire book. And in terms of what we get about their background and characterization, initially it's very minimal. But then mm-hmm. Goldman really builds off of that yeah, they get in their an incredible own, their way. Whole own um, even though they don't have, you know, their own initial chapters like Buttercup and the Prince do, for mm-hmm. example. Um, we really come to care about them and the way that the two of them help one another grow and care for each other is really touching. Um, and so, and you mentioned that their relationship is I, your favorite by far and above, the which most I agree compelling because yeah. it has the most real feeling in it. Mm-hmm. I think, um, I love the rhyming game that they play together. Um, cause Wesley and Buttercup, so it's a, like, it's a Romeo and Juliet type thing, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And I love, yeah. Mm-hmm. We'll talk more about theirs yeah. later. Um, but yeah, I really love Fezzik and Inigo, uh, and so I should put this out there that the version, so th- I did uh, intake this version, the 25th anniversary version. I found this YouTube series of videos that is this mom reading to her youngish kids. Um, like they're not toddlers, but they're like f- five to seven, maybe. There's two of them. Um, and she reads chapter by chapter each night of this book. And so there was, for me, there is another layer of their narration which probably also confused me a bit because (laughs) you made a book that already (laughs) felt like a challenge more of a challenge (laughs) but I mean it was really cool as an experience and she did a fantastic job I should probably plug her I listened to this series uh the princess bride read aloud and the youtube poster is Jessica Woodard um and there's 22 videos uh and yeah, I listened through to it. Um, I think there was like a, one section missing that I realized, but I just read the book because I had it for that. That's the worst thing about those YouTube playlists. You get well, like 20 parts in and then it's like, this video has been removed. Right. Yeah. But um, we'll post it on our website. Yeah. She did a really, really great job. And her kids occasionally would like say something or like after. And this, so she's creating her own framing for the book. Yes. So and uh, one kid at one point was like, we just got Fezzik's whole backstory because he was commenting on the fact oh that the God. author like inserted it in there. 
Um, and there was also, there was a hamster running on a wheel, like in video the whole time. That just sounds so cozy. Yeah. It sounds like a world I want to live and inside. There was, there was a dog named Callie that the mom would like pause and be like, someone has to go get Callie. Or like the kid would be like, Callie's sitting in the spot. I want to sit on the couch. <laughs> <laughs> so cute. Um, and the mom, she, uh, when um, there, there's a slur because I, on it, and I couldn't even figure out if that was problematic or not, or if it was commentary or whatever. But um, that Mad Max, not Mad Max, <laughs> Miracle, Miracle Max, Max says, mm-hmm. and the mom before she read it, she paused and she explained to her children mm-hmm. that it was a slur. Um, it's in the book, and she's going to beep it in the YouTube, but she wants them to know that it's a slur so that they won't say it. And I just thought it was like a really great way to pause and explain that to the kids. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was it was cool. But again, yeah, it was... It, she did a fantastic job. Like, she had a voice for everyone and oh. got, like, really emphatic. Um, but it probably didn't help my understanding of the narrative like to have another outside level of narrative framing um that's awesome but it was yeah it was awesome (laughs) i do think that um this this is really a book that was kind of made to be performed and Mm. read aloud in a lot of ways i think it is a very storytelling book and i think that's why we get so married to the delivery of lines in the movie Mm -hmm. um and william goldman was a really prolific writer um and and in the end, he wrote more screenplays than mm-hmm. novels. Um, he just passed away this past November, um, mm. but had a long career. Um, I mean, Butch Cassidy came out in the 60s. Yeah. Um, and I think that he just, I, I wonder if a part of him was like already, yeah, thinking from kind of a movie perspective when he was writing this mm-hmm. book. But, but then he put so many complicated, like, literary devices into it that I, I can't believe that they so successfully adapted the book to become the movie. And the what, movie is so great. Well, what I think happened is really, so this is framed as the best, the good parts of S. Morgenstern's The Princess Bride. And then I feel like the movie The Princess Bride is the good parts of William's, William Goldman's good parts of the princess no, you're totally right um yeah. like it takes out it retains the humor and a lot of the sarcasm and kind of jadedness of the characters but then the feeling the real emotion at the heart of every interaction much more earnest. is more on display um and that's actually something that i like about the book is that it's there but you just have to dig a little mm. deeper and be more thoughtful to get to it mm-hmm. um and we do have a lot of affection in the William Goldman narrator characters flashbacks to his dad reading the book to him mm-hmm. and him yeah. talking about how much he loved his dad mm-hmm. um, and how he really, you know, valued like the time that they spent together with mm-hmm. his dad reading it to him and him continuing to say that he never read the book himself. His mm-hmm. dad only ever read it to him. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that establishes the foundation for the rest of the true affection yeah. that's present in the book. Yeah. Because really the narrator character is only blunt about his affection for anything when he's talking about the book itself mm-hmm. and how much he loves it. Yeah. Um, and it being his own creation just makes it even stranger. 
yeah, there's a lot going on. Levels and levels and levels. <laughs> there's really a lot going on. Um, also, while we're talking about William if Goldman. This were, if this were a Supreme Court case, then I would have as much to say about its history and grounding as Grace has. <laughs> I just want to put that out there. I'm not. You're doing, you're great. No, I'm just feeling a little self-conscious that you I didn't feel self-conscious. grasp it. <laughs> but I, I knew that this was coming. I was like, Grace is going to like understand what is going on here, and I do not. <laughs> But you're doing a great job of explaining it. Good. I hope I'm not just being annoying. <laughs> no, not at all. I think that probably the difference in reading this book is if you are an English major who has studied literature uh, and if you're not. <laughs> and yeah. I feel like the dynamic But it can still is... be enjoyed like at every no, different totally. level of background totally. and context. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, here's something you can relate to. You and William Goldman share an alma mater. He went to Oberlin. He went to Oberlin? Mm -hmm. No way. And we covered another, uh, we learned recently that, was it Patricia Reedy who went to your high school? (laughs) My high school? Remember, we covered an author who went to Central. Central? Oh, geez. Um, I, I do remember this vaguely. I block out everything in my memory that has to do with Hinsdale Central, so that probably got thrown in the pit, too. <laughs> anyway, I have no connections to anyone, so I'm, I'm just sure, I'm sure you have some Whitman, some witties. Small, weird school. William Goldman is also from Chicago, which is where we are from. He grew up in Highland Park, so there are pieces of that that are mm-hmm. put into the story. Um, and his family is Jewish. I read something that said that people thought that he modeled Max and Valerie after after his his parents. parents. Okay. Um, And it is interesting after we meet them that there's this very particular aside from him that says, my editor said that they seem too Jewish. Yeah. Uh (laughs) Like he was really, you know, deliberate about that and be like, well, and said like, that's too contemporary. Yeah. You can't exactly. It's another one of the like an anachronism. Yeah. Things. Mm -hmm. Um, but then it's all meta because it's like he was creating it anyway. It's just, yeah. No, totally. Ah. Um, and William Goldman did have a severe rare case of pneumonia um, mm. that affected him at multiple times throughout his life when he was young. And then also when he was working on the screenplay that he mentions, oh. the Stepford Wives screenplay, I think, um, at the beginning of the book. So that part is real. And it was complications from that that ultimately helped lead to his death. Um, so there is this strange true thread of sickness. He was born in 1930. I mean, I, I think to be able to create this book takes a really incredible artist. Like I'm very impressed by it. It's very talented. Um, indeed. I, I love the writing so much. I just, these lines are so enduring. Um, and it's not just because we've heard them in a movie. It's because they were originally written by him and then, you know, performed incredibly well. Mm -hmm. But the dialogue is like almost entirely taken from the book. When we watch the movie, we'll check on this, but I don't know that there are many lines at all that aren't verbatim. Very few, Um, very few, like, like a few like word, single word changes Mm -hmm. in a line, maybe just to make it make more sense for a contemporary audience. Yeah. Or it also could have been a couple of times I thought like, I wonder if the actor just ad libbed a little bit and that's why it's not verbatim from the book. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's really interesting. Yeah. Um, and also I think it's really bold to build a horrible version of yourself into your own novel. Um, I would not be able to do that. And I feel like, I feel like it's almost, I mean, I don't want to get too into like author's intent, but 
I do wonder if he hated this certain like Hollywood screenwriter part of himself because mm. he's very specifically talking about that when he's I think like, that, bringing up I these kind of some components yeah. of his personality because they all are kind of like stereotypical. Yeah, yeah, it's like his secret gross self that he doesn't want anything to deal with, mm-hmm. and he would like to be living the reality where he is actually abridging this incredible old Florinese book right. um, yeah. that his I think you're right. fa- his immigrant father. Mm-hmm. Read to him, yeah. Um, so that's really fascinating mm-hmm. and like sad, <laughs> kind of heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, the the beginnings of the Princess Bride were born of stories that he would tell his daughters, um, because okay. he said that they were always asking for stories about princesses, mm-hmm. and he and he clearly was coming from his own you know background as a kid who loved adventure stories, mm-hmm. and then kind of married the two together. Okay. Okay, so let's um, do some, let's discuss the romantic realism Mm -hmm. of Buttercup and Wesley's relationship. Mm -hmm. So let's disregard what the author was doing with commenting on classic fairy tale fantasy romances. Let's just talk about the relationship. because it's, as you've said, it's really thin. Um, they basically just think the other one is hot. Even though they grew up together, all they really did was Buttercup just kind of verbally abuses him. Yeah, and she orders him to do mm-hmm. things and he does them. It's not like they hang out and get to know each other. Right, exactly. And you can also tell that there are these beginning threads of them actually being pretty different people. Like him mm-hmm. getting candle stubs that he can read at night. Mm-hmm. And then her just really being interested in riding her horse. Um, and later at one point when they're reunited, he says like, don't you ever read a book? He's a lot smarter than her. Yeah. yeah. He's really more intelligent. And he's a um, little mean about it. And he's kind of mean about it, but Buttercup is intelligent too. She just, I feel like has to access she's, it. She's not she book smart. She's she street have, smart. Exactly. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, she, does, she is. Yeah. No. And I mean, Buttercup to her credit, at least comes up with ways to change her, reality when well, she she's needs good. to and yeah and she's like been so crushed by love that i mean if you have decided that you're going to live it walled off from your emotions like getting married go to all the way a prince <laughs> yeah. and like being royalty is you know yeah that's sounds like probably a you can really pretty connect. nice life move yeah. yeah um and i'm not um because it was transactional, mm-hmm. and I did appreciate that that she knew what she was getting into. Right, I like that. Well, except for the to, murder attempt, but that wasn't. I mean, well, I, that's just Prince Hopperdick being terrible. <laughs> I, I like the coldness of the non the relationships that don't have any true affection behind them, and how honest people are about mm-hmm. them. Yeah. Um, like from the start, Buttercup and Humperdinck say to one another, "Like I, I don't." I don't love you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he says, well, if you did, that would be more of a problem yeah. for me because I just want to hunt and be terrible. Um, kill rare animals in my creepy zoo. Um, it's not really a zoo. It's more of like a safari. It's yeah. From the description of it, I feel like in some areas there are animals on display. Yeah. But and then, then other in parts others, are just, just like loose for hunting. <laughs> so that they can murder you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, really funny. I understand, uh, I understand why they didn't adapt it, but the scene or just the chapter where Inigo and Fessick are 
venturing forth through the zoo is so amazing. It's pretty fun. Um, it, it's it's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm I'm really happy that it does yeah. exist. Yeah. Um. So, Wesley and Buttercup. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there's just there's more pining than actual time spent together mm-hmm. because. Which is very very Victorian. Exactly, very Victorian. It's really funny that the day that they, that she professes her love for him and he professes his to her, he's like, I gotta leave now. Yeah, yeah. Um, They share one kiss, then he is gone for years. um, And then when they meet again, he's like really mad at her because like, what the heck, man? Why are you getting married to this prince guy? And then even through that, like, the first time they're actually spending together in their relationship is going through the fire swamp. Yeah. So, and before that, they literally they have a fight that doesn't really get resolved. <laughs> <laughs> no, it doesn't. Um, and they almost die in the fire swamp. Mm-hmm. There's uh, what is it called? Um, snow sand mm-hmm. and RUSs. Um, and, and then uh, when all they matter of peril. Yeah, and then when they come out on the other side, Prince Humperdinck is there, so she just says you know, if you won't hurt him. And it is, you know, you don't really know what the stakes are. You don't know if she would have been able to barter her and Wesley's freedom because what she ended up with was nothing. Well, right, because he just plans to murder her anyway. Yeah, but she she doesn't know that. And it's like she didn't have a lot of power in that situation, so she probably did kind of make the right call as far as she knew, but then, you know. Yeah, because if she hadn't surrendered, if they hadn't surrendered, they would have just killed Wesley immediately. And captured her. And captured yeah. her. So, yeah. so at least, I mean, and in stories, like whatever decision is going to prolong the life of all the characters is the best. Generally the right yeah, way to go. The best decision, yeah. <laughs> even if it seems like they're going to be, you know, thrown into a torture pit. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and then I love that we also like still don't get any real time between the two of them because when she sees him again, he's only somewhat alive um, or mostly dead. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, then we the book cuts out before we even get like mm-hmm. a real reunion between yeah. the two of them. So it's so funny that the book is framed as, you know, a means to convey their love story because, because their love story is like, like very the flimsiest part of the book, yeah. honestly. Like I've, we've already said a couple of times, I think the real love story is the friendship between Inigo and Fezzik. Yeah, I agree. Like um, humans bonding together, you know, becoming important to each other despite the just terribleness of their circumstances. It is... It's a book of passions, you know, not necessarily mm-hmm. passions between humans, but sometimes their passions bring them together. And mm-hmm. I think Inigo and Fezzik are brought together. Um, but then, uh, I mean, the Count has a great love for pain and his exploration and study of that. I love that, like, Psycho. <laughs> he's so um, academic about it. Yeah. <laughs> Just asking Wesley how he feels, I mean, like, this is for posterity yeah. and taking notes about how he's reacting to the machine and like talking about his book he's going to make about his torture machine. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, this is set during, you know, like a Renaissance type era. Mm-hmm. So it's like almost medieval enough that you're like, Oh yeah, the torture machine book, that's going to do great. <laughs> that's going to be a best. Probably. People probably. Yeah, exactly. that. Yeah. Um, and the prince's love of hunting, um, 
and within Inigo and Vezik, we have Inigo's love of fencing, which in itself is really a love for his dad. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And Fezzik's love of rhyming, which yeah. is his way to like soothe himself because he basically had an aborted childhood yeah. after he was forced to become a professional fighter. Yeah. Fezzik's story is so heartbreaking. It really um, is. And we'll talk more about this during the movie, but like weirdly similar to Andre the Giant's own life. I watched an amazing documentary about him once. On HBO. Uh, it was just on TV at a hotel. I don't know. There, Cause there is probably. an amazing HBO documentary about him. Yeah, yeah, probably. No, he was the one like after I read the book, I was looking up pictures cause in particular, I love that um, scene in the princess bride where butter at the very end where buttercup jumps and lands in his arms and they just, and they just have like the cutest at each smile other. at each other. And it just like, yeah, I feel like you can tell that they just were good friends. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know it's yeah. really sweet from that look. It's, Really, yeah. I totally agree. Warms the cockles of my cold heart. <laughs> does. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a story about loves, <laughs> various loves. I don't think it's really a story about Buttercup and Wesley's no, love. Yeah. But that's fine. It's the catalyst for a whole lot of other great stuff. It's true. So, yeah, that's that's it for romantic realism. <laughs> Not at all, yeah. but interesting. Zero percent. <laughs> um, so, you know, something that is actually almost entirely missing from this book. It's pretend cover food. Anyway, it's pretend food. There's chocolate. So... That's like it, right? Because he cuts part of all the, the reason banquet it's parts. gone is because yeah. the banquets are all removed, right? Well, the um, imaginary so existing banquets. I know. Yeah. If only we could get those banquets. I remember reading this when I was a child when I thought that there was a real version of the book. And I was like, well, I want to read the real version. What's this? I don't want a bridge. You would. I know. <laughs> I'm, I'm a pain in the butt you to everyone. <laughs> well, because... I was also deep in my red wall phase and Which those books do have like 20 pages describe <laughs> the banquets. Yeah. And I was like, no, it must be so good. So I was a pretend food lover even then. Um, and yeah, we, we miss out on those. We do get the excerpt from the key banquet, um, which is when Humperdinck is attempting to woo oh, yeah, a you're right. woman from a neighboring kingdom. Who I turns out to not name. have hair and um, that makes her unacceptable. <laughs> and he's furious. So angry. And the reason that they find that out is because they're having brandied essence of Pork? Is that Pig, what it is? the ear or something um, like that. Yeah. yeah something uh, made up and complicated that sounds super funny. And I appreciated that touch. Uh, that's the kind of pretend food that I get into. <laughs> and just like talking about the details, um, like there had to be, you know, cups of brandy so that it would flame appropriately when it was brought to the table and like the number of servants required to bring everything out in the right way. Yeah. And I was like, this is great. This is complicated. It's silly. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I'm into it. Oh, I guess I guess we should include the wine and the iocane powder. Well, exactly. Yeah. That's another really important yeah. plot moment right. that's aided by food. Um, Vizzini's picnic that he sets up for the man in black um, mm-hmm. and Wesley's poisoning of the cups of wine with iocane powder, mm-hmm. um, which is also a scene that is really fun to read as much as it is to watch. Yeah. Um, which is super impressive. Mm-hmm. I just think dialogue is really hard to write, especially action type dialogue right. without just seeming totally ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And when I think about some of the best 
fight scenes. Um, I guess I, I always go back to the hero in the crown because I think Aaron's mm. battle, um, her dragon okay. battle is yeah. so incredible. And there it feels so real. Exactly. There's almost no dialogue there, but if you think of a more dialogue heavy fight scene, um, I don't know. Tamara Pierce writes really good fight scenes. I think she does. Yeah. Um, does a really good job. And there, there is typically more of an exchange of words mm-hmm. to, um, I always love Terry Pratchett's <laughs> battles and fight scenes. Too, yeah. Because there, there's like a ton of not just dialogue, but then there's authorial so interruptions. There's <laughs> like, so much. What this person's thinking, like how this thing from their past or from the history of Angmorpor yeah. connects to like this next little detail that's going to happen mm-hmm. and like mysteriously yeah. end the battle. Um, it, it was uh, Pratchett esque when Vizini dies because he is, dies like mid- is a bit Pratchett. Oh, sure, yeah. yeah. But especially when Vizzini is, you know, he, he dies like mid-sentence and it's a very rapid, like he was laughing until he said, until the effects of the Iacane powder took hold. <laughs> I know, and it doesn't even say, and then he died. It just says no. he was laughing until the Iacane powder took hold. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's, yeah. It. That's it for Vizzini. And I remember exactly that in the movie where he's literally like laughing Wallace and his Shawn's face is all veiny and then he just keels laugh. over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Never go in against a Sicilian when death is on the line. I love Wallace Shawn yeah. so much. Yep, yep. Ooh, um, yeah, so that and then the miracle pill that mm-hmm. Max and Valerie covered make. in chocolate. Love that they covered it in chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> Max and Valerie are really fun. Yeah. And interestingly, in the book, I feel like they're actually, um, because we get a little more context, it's actually shown that their relationship is a lot better than how it's then in the movie portrayed in yeah. the film. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause in the book, they, they talk about the fact that he calls her a witch mm-hmm. um, it, because she's fine with it. Right. And because it makes him seem, and it's actually a conceit because miracle men have to have a witch, mm-hmm. but he didn't like get around to getting one. Right. And she so learned just, enough about being a witch that, that she yeah. could kind of pass. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then that adds like flavor to the world and it's fun and funny. And mm-hmm. then it explains why he calls her a witch. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the movie, he's just like, get back, witch. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Yikes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they're actually a much sweeter couple than mm-hmm. you expect. Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, and then I think that's it for pretend food. Yeah, pretend light on the pretend food. That's okay. It happens from time to time. It's okay. Um, but we need like a good food heavy book next. We so do. I'm gonna look at our uh, requests and see, and what, see which what has ones. Plenty of food. Y'all are wonderful about mentioning when a book has great pretend. Yeah. Food. So keep that up. We really appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. Okay, so let's discuss Badass Lady Meter. A little complicated. Um, <laughs> Does it have to be a, a, a identified woman? <laughs> no, anyone can be a badass lady. I mean, that's always I was, our credo. I, I <laughs> um, sent Grace a joke where I was like, Inigo Montoya is my badass lady, plus he has beautiful Farrah Fawcett hair. <laughs> be he really does. Um, I feel like I'm gonna kind of stick to that. I don't know Inigo why. Is your but I, I think he is. Yeah. Uh, what's your rating for Inigo? My rating is the justice done to the character by Mandy Patinkin. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Um. So I'll 
do the obvious if controversial choice and I'm going to the only lady <laughs> stand up for buttercup a bit. Um, I, I actually think she is a cool character. Um, because she's very forthright about what it is that she wants. Um, mm-hmm. even from an early point where she's just, you know, she's like not a princess yet or a princess to be. Mm-hmm. She, I think in terms of like the nobility ranking in the area is like just above the bottom. Like she's the daughter mm-hmm. of a, a landowner, a landowner of like mediocre renown. Yeah. <laughs> Cause he specifically says that he knows their cows aren't that good, <laughs> but they have cows, but they have some cows and yeah. they have some land and he has enough land that he would like give some to Wesley as mm-hmm. he mentions at one right. point. Um, and she was raised with a pretty horrible example of a relationship by yeah. her parents who no, are referred to again true. and again as like absolutely hating one another, and even they, like, though they also have a deep little root of affection for one another. Yeah. Which we also get hints of. Um, so that's like, that's the thing about this book. Like even the most cynical, cruel characters love something. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's what I keep getting back to. And that's why I feel like it does have that is true. a true heart. Um, but I don't know if you agree with, I feel like you don't agree with me, but it's okay. We're going to disagree sometimes. Well, I mean, I, I don't completely disagree with you. There's, I, I totally see where you're coming from and I do kind of agree with you. And then there, I just have a chip on my shoulder. So I think so often this is like, I don't think I summed this up earlier and it's the last thing I'll say about this, but I think so often satire exists to be satire and it's Mm. very busy tearing down its subjects Mm. and it doesn't actually inject them with any kind of real Mm. soul. Okay. And I think this book does. Okay. I totally see what you mean by that. Yeah. Yeah. So Buttercup, she has a soul. (laughs) Um, I... As I said, I appreciate that she just keeps going. She tries to figure things out to the best of her ability. Um, she does make some questionable choices, but then so do we all. And That is true. She's she's also very young throughout the book. Um, she's doing her best. Like she had a she had a beautiful man that she thought she was in love with, and he went away and died, and then mm-hmm. that made her feelings all kinds of crazy. She's also dealing with being objectified all the time yeah, by everyone. 24-7. Um, so she has a pretty tough lot to shoulder. Mm-hmm. And I think she does a good job with it. Um, I haven't read buttercup's baby the pretend excerpt from another book that mm-hmm. um as william goldman puts it in different editions of princess bride he says like it's a book that he has already written but is having hell releasing because the s morganstern estate is like on his mm-hmm. tail and she's having all these legal troubles with them and things yeah. like that so buttercup is my badass lady even though she's trapped in a very strange relationship and doesn't get too much characterization and my rating for her is one million hours to ride her horse, horse along an horse. empty lane. <laughs> she does love horse. So I think that's it for The Princess Bride by William Goldman. Yeah. Um, kind of a difficult episode, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, thanks yeah. for sticking with us through this. I think our last few episodes have been a little different um, than our usual gushing uh 
straightforward book breakdowns but, but that's good mixing it up is good yeah that's all good um let us know yeah let us know if you like this uh mm-hmm. we're definitely open to picking more um like trickier books mm-hmm. i guess i would say As because to straightforward ones with the way that our podcast has been working out we picked like all our most beloved books first mm-hmm. and now we're getting further into yeah. like ones we don't remember as well um sometimes ones we haven't read at all yeah so that's interesting too i don't know i'm loving the process so yeah, yeah keep your recommendations coming yeah, please, please do. Um, we'll continue going through them it just takes us a little while but we will get cheers mm-hmm. i promise yeah um you you can get in touch with us on our website, dragonbabiespodcast.com, on our Twitter at dragonbabiespod, Instagram at dragonbabiespodcast, or just shoot us an email at dragonbabiespodcast at gmail.com. Drop us a line. We have been teasing our next book at the end of our episodes, but Madeline hasn't picked it yet. So who knows? <laughs> You'll have to uh, stay tuned to our website and social media to find out. We do put little teasers up there so that you can know what's coming and you can reread it in advance if you're interested. Sorry, guys. <laughs> All good. I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. Until next time. Goodbye. <laughs>